the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. One of the greatest proofs of the resurrection of Jesus is that Peter could stand up in a city where these events had taken place a little more than a month before and tell these people that Jesus had risen from the dead with not a single person challenging him. They knew that the authorities could not produce the body of Jesus. The people had heard all the wild rumors of Jesus appearing alive to his own disciples and now they stand in mute and stricken silence as the apostle drives home with powerful strokes the sword of the spirit convicting them of the truth of his claim. Once those who crucified Jesus failed to produce his dead body to explain the empty tomb, there was no longer any argument about why the tomb was empty, because there was only one plausible explanation left. The big question is, what do we do about that explanation? Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is concluding another message in his series from Acts chapter 2 about Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Jesus showed his divinity through his miracles, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. But he also showed it through the joyful attitude he demonstrated. Let's consider that now before we move on to our response to these facts. Here's Pastor Steve. The reason that the Messiah is a man of great joy and hope is because he knows that God will not abandon his soul to Hades. So let's stop here and think about this. What does this actually mean? We read the word Hades. He didn't say hell, he said Hades. Well, the word Hades is used in a couple of different ways in the Bible, depending on its context. It can either mean the temporary, not permanent, but temporary place of punishment for unbelievers after they die, before they are cast into the lake of fire, which is hell. It could mean that, or it can mean simply the realm of the dead, the grave, the pit. Now, the way that David has the Messiah using the word Hades in this psalm, in Psalm 16, is that he means the abode or the realm of the dead. He's not talking about a place of punishment. So then what the Messiah is saying, that the reason he is so joyful, the reason he is so full of hope, even as he faces death, is because he knows that when he dies, God will not leave him in the realm of of the dead, meaning that he will resurrect him from the dead. And he knows that this resurrection will take place very soon, soon after death, not, as I said, in some distant prophetic future. And that's why he follows up this statement about not being abandoned in Hades with the next statement in this verse. Notice, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. In other words, he will not allow his body to experience the normal, natural 
decaying process that takes place by lying for a long time in a grave. It certainly, certainly was fulfilled by the fact that Jesus did not experience, his body did not experience decay and corruption for the brief time he was lying dead for only three days in a tomb. Now, once again, I remind you that this statement is about Christ's death. It's about Christ's resurrection. But it would be appropriate for us at this point to consider what happens to a believer in Christ when they die. And the reason I want to stop and go over this is because over the years, I have come to realize that many Christians are unsure of what happens to them the moment they die. And they're, they're, not, they're not sure of the relationship between their deaths and their resurrection. I have been asked this question many times, questions related to this. What, what about the resurrection? What about if I'm with the Lord, am I with him in my new body? So, so let me explain. Let me explain. The Bible teaches that the very moment a Christian a true Christian, one who has trusted Christ for salvation, that very moment that Christian dies, their soul, and I'm using soul just like I would use the word spirit, so I may use it interchangeably, their soul, their spirit, that immaterial part of them is immediately brought into the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. Immediately. There is no purgatory. There is no waiting room. Immediately. We know this from Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.8. Paul says, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body means that that immaterial part of you, when you die, it leaves you and goes to be with Christ. Paul said, that's what I would prefer, to be absent from the body, the real me, the spirit, the soul, to be absent from this body, to be at home with the Lord. The apostle again said in Philippians 1, starting in verse 22, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for you. But I don't know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better, Paul said. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul said, in my own mind, I'm not sure which I really want because I would prefer it would be better for me If I die, and remember, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. If I die, I can depart immediately this world and be with Christ. But I know that it'll be better for you, you Philippians, if I stay so I can minister to you. And then this great statement in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. The very first martyr, Stephen, is being murdered. They've picked up stones. They're killing him. These are not little pebbles. If you've ever been to Israel, these are not little pebbles. They are pounding the man. Life is ebbing from him, and we read this. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Not, I know I have to wait a lot of years. No, receive my spirit now. Now. So that's what happens. The moment a Christian dies, their soul immediately goes to be with Christ. But what happens to the body? Well, your body doesn't go there yet. The body is buried, and then it begins to rot and decay, or it's cremated where it immediately is decayed into ashes. But while the body decays, we in our souls, the real us, we're with Christ, awaiting 
the resurrection of our bodies, at which time, according to 1 Corinthians 15, I won't take the time to go through that, but you want to know the details about the resurrection and the body, read that. We await the resurrection of our bodies, at which time God will give us a new body that will be reunited with our soul. And this new resurrected glorious body will be perfectly suited for all of eternity. And while we don't know a great deal about our new resurrected bodies, what, it'll, what they'll be like, we do know, according to 1 Corinthians 15 and some other places in the New Testament, that it will be similar to Christ's resurrected body in that it will never perish, it will not be tainted with sin, it will be strong, it will not be weak. Will we be able to identify each other? Sure, sure. They could identify Christ. Philippians 3.21 says, Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself? This simply means when you come up with all of your questions about, well, what about my body will be in the grave so long there'll be nothing to it? Or what about people who've been blown up or they're thrown into the ocean? What Paul is saying is don't worry about that. God, by his power, is going to put it all together. He's going to transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How is he going to do by the exertion of his power that he has even to subject all things to himself? It's no problem for the Lord. So don't worry about it. So if you're a believer in Jesus, then like your Lord, you don't need to be afraid of death. Because you have been promised, you have God's word for it, that on the other side of death is immediate, perfect fellowship with God in heaven, as well as the promise that someday you will have a new and glorious body that is perfectly suited for you for all of eternity. Now, the only difference between your resurrection and Jesus' resurrection is that God promised him, as David tells us, that his resurrection would come soon after his death which it did three days later, so that his flesh did not experience any decay or corruption. We don't know when the resurrection of believers is coming in terms of a date. We don't know that. But Jesus knew and spoke of his resurrection happening soon after his death so that his body would not experience any decay. And as a result of his confidence that he would be quickly raised from the dead, notice in verse 28 what David tells us that Messiah says. Because the Messiah, fully expecting to be raised from the dead so quickly, knows that in his resurrected body, he will experience, watch this, the greatest joy as he fellowships with God in heaven. Look at verse 28. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, in saying that God has made known to him the ways of life, Jesus simply means the ways of life that lead to his resurrected life. And it is in his resurrected life where he will experience fullness of joy and gladness. Why? Because he's in God's presence. Nothing can be greater than that. In other words, he's just expressing what he knows to be true. That fullness of joy awaits him because when he is resurrected, he will be in God's presence and that's what he is most looking forward to. And folks, if you know Christ, that's what awaits you too. 
even before the resurrection of your body, to die is to be with Christ in your soul and spirit. Because to be with God in, in heaven is greater than the greatest thrill you have ever or will ever experience in this world. It will be a fullness of joy, a fullness, the word says, a fullness of joy and gladness as you experience no sin and therefore you experience perfect fellowship with him, perfect worship of him, perfect service for him. So don't fear. Don't fear death. Look forward to it. Look forward to it. That's what David said was Messiah's attitude. Now, let's go back to Peter's sermon. Let's remember where we are. Peter is preaching his sermon on the day of Pentecost to a crowd of thousands of Jewish people, and he is presenting the case for Jesus being Messiah. Many of them, by the way, were hostile. Many of them had a hand in crucifying Christ only two months earlier. But here's Peter telling them, the man you crucified is your Messiah. And he is presently arguing that Jesus, having been put to death by God's predetermined plan, was also raised from the dead by God's predetermined plan. And the whole basis of Peter's argument is that King David, in Psalm 16, spoke of the resurrection, but not of his own resurrection, but the resurrection of the Messiah. And Peter wants his audience to make sure they get the point, that they know this, because If David was referring to his own death, his own death and resurrection, then Peter has no case. He has no case for Jesus being raised from the dead. If David wrote about himself, then Peter's argument has no weight. It means nothing. So as Peter continues his sermon, he has to convince his audience that David wasn't speaking of himself. And that's exactly what Peter does in verses 29 through 31. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. Now, Coming back to his point, he calls them brethren because they, after all, they are his Jewish brethren. He's not calling them Christian brethren. But Peter makes the point that David could not, could not have been writing about himself in Psalm 16. Why? Because the things that he predicted in Psalm 16, they didn't happen to David. They didn't at all. Unlike the one David wrote about, who died and then was quickly raised from the dead so that his body didn't have the time to decay, David died and was buried, and Peter says, and his body remains in a tomb whose location is known by everybody here. Listen, if you go on a trip to Israel, you go to the city of Jerusalem, your tour guide most likely will bring you to a building. It's now a synagogue. It is just below the upper room, what we believe is the upper room. He will bring you to a place that is called David's tomb. You walk in there, there are Jewish people praying there, religious, devout Jews who are praying in the outer room. You walk through and you see a huge coffin, huge. And that is supposedly the place where David is entombed. Now, scholars question this. They debate if that's really 
David's remains in there. It's somebody's remains. But listen, in Peter's day, 2,000 years ago, there was no question of the location of David's remains. His body was in a tomb in the city of Jerusalem, and all those people standing in front of Peter knew exactly where it was. There's no question about it. And that's the heart of Peter's argument. David could not have been speaking about himself because he died, his decayed body is in a tomb, and he still hasn't experienced the quick resurrection that he wrote about in Psalm 16. He says, we know where his tomb, we know where his body is. He wasn't raised from the dead. But in addition to this, really, it's an irrefutable argument about David's death. Peter reminds his Jewish brethren that during his lifetime, David was a prophet. Not only a king, but he was a prophet. Notice once again what Peter says about David in verses 30 and 31. So because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke. He means prophetically. Inspired by God, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Peter is referring to this wonderful promise that that God gave David, King David, in 2 Samuel 7, that one of his descendants, one, would ultimately sit upon his throne, David's throne, as the Messiah. And because David was a prophet as well as a king, he prophetically looked ahead, Peter said, and he prophesied about the resurrection of his greatest descendant, the Messiah, the one who was neither abandoned to Hades nor left to rot in a grave, Jesus of Nazareth. Do you see Peter's argument? Let let me just give you the big picture. Here's the argument in a nutshell. David wrote a psalm that speaks of of the Messiah being raised soon after death. He couldn't have been referring to himself because David wasn't resurrected and his decaying body is lying in a tomb nearby and it proves that. Therefore, being a prophet, he must have been referring to the Messiah, the one descendant of his that God promised to sit upon his throne. And having said all of this, Peter closes his argument with his primary clinching point that Jesus has been raised from the dead just as David said he would. Therefore, Jesus is the Messiah. Notice verse 32. This Jesus, this one I'm talking to you about, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. In other words, he's saying God has been true to his word. Just as the scriptures predicted in Psalm 16, Jesus was raised from the dead Because he is the Messiah. And we, and by we he means all we 12 apostles, not the 120 there. But we, all 12 apostles, we are witnesses of his resurrection. We have seen him. And we are now testifying that God, just as he said he would, has raised him from the dead. Now folks, this is Peter's point in speaking about the resurrection of of Messiah. He has indisputably proven that Jesus is the Messiah because he has been raised from the dead just as the Old Testament scriptures said he would and all of the apostles have seen him in his new glorious resurrected body. You know, the amazing thing about what Peter has just said is that there is no record of anyone in the crowd standing up and saying, I disagree and I want to debate you. I don't think that you're right. There's not 
any record of this. One Bible teacher explained this astounding situation this way. He said, the strange and remarkable thing about Peter's sermon is that not one single voice was lifted in protest. To me, he said, one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection of Jesus is that Peter could stand up in a city where these events had taken place a little more than a month before and tell these people that Jesus had risen from the dead with not a single person challenging him. They knew that the authorities could not produce the body of Jesus, though they would have given a king's ransom to be able to do so. The people had heard all the wild rumors of Jesus appearing alive to his own disciples, and now they stand in mute and stricken silence as the apostle drives home with powerful strokes the sword of the spirit, convicting them of the truth of his claim. So, what's your response to Peter's sermon? Are you convinced that Jesus rose from the dead? Are you convinced enough to stake your eternal destiny on it, on believing, as R.C. Sproul said, that a man in Jerusalem was killed and the grave could not hold him. Are you willing to bank everything on that truth? Are you convinced enough to believe that Jesus was no ordinary man, but was God in human flesh, who died for sinners just like you, and rose again so that upon trusting him alone for salvation, you can be forgiven of your sins and given the great joy of looking forward to spending eternity with God in heaven in a new resurrected body. If you are convinced of this intellectually, then do something about it. Come to Christ today. Place your confidence in him for your salvation. Repent of your sin. Give it up and turn to Christ. And if you already are a believer, then let these truths that you have heard about today, seen from the scripture today, let them strengthen your faith in Christ and give you a renewed hope, a renewed confidence that you can face any trial without fear, especially the trial of death, because God's word promises that he is with you even in death. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, he said. And that when you die, you will be immediately with him in heaven. That's Peter's sermon. Let's apply it to our lives. If when we close the service, you'd like to speak to one of our elders about your soul, about your need for Christ, then they're going to be up here at the front. You are welcome to talk to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Peter's powerful sermon. We thank you, Lord, that the logic, the reasoning can't be refuted. This is what the word of God says. And thousands of very intelligent Jewish people listening to him that day, people who were steeped in the word of God, they didn't didn't object. They didn't dispute with him. They didn't argue. Lord, we thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead. Thank you that he's with us. Lord, may we by faith, may your children by faith, even as they walk out of here, even as they go to work tomorrow, even as they they carry on their lives, have this great awareness by faith that they see you, that they see the Lord Jesus with them, right at their right hand, protecting them, defending them. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be conscious of your presence and that we might be joyful people just like you were, Lord, in this lifetime singing about you, rejoicing, full of hope, 
full of great confidence because even in death, we will be with you and you'll be with us and that someday we will be raised from the dead. I pray that what we've gone over clarifies to those who have been confused about dying and what happens. I pray that you'll help sort all this out in their minds and that the truth will set them free from any worry. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope today's broadcast has encouraged you in your faith. If you have questions about putting your trust in the risen Savior, I'll have a phone number for you in just a moment. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For Lakeside's address and service times, or to ask about how you can be sure you have eternal life, call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. To help us with the airtime and production costs of Verse by Verse, stop in at our website. Giving is secure and convenient on our giving page. Also, don't forget the Message Archive page where we make hundreds of previous programs available for you to stream or to download at no charge. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. In our text from Acts chapter 2, Peter quoted David saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. As you may know, in Bible times, to be at someone's right hand was a position of highest honor. And the more prominent the person who placed you at their right hand, the higher the honor. Therefore, the right hand of God is the absolute highest honor anyone can receive. That honor went to Jesus when he is... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.